Hey, it's Anita, and this is the Anita Posh Show. Hello, everybody. Great that you're here again. This is episode 92 of my podcast, which is now called the Anita Posh Show. It's the last day of 2020, which was a rather weird and stressful year for the most of us. Let's hope that 2021 is going to be better. The change in the calendar actually doesn't mean a thing to our body or nature, but it marks a change. It's a new beginning in a way. So Bitcoin is also a part of this change. Bitcoin is playing and will be playing in the future a big role changing our social constructs, our political circumstances, and of course, our financial world. The magic thing about Bitcoin is it's an open network with free access for everybody. You don't need an ID, you don't need money, you don't need anything. You only need a smartphone or a computer to join. And this is a big change globally. As I've seen in many interviews this year, especially with my Bitcoin in Africa series, you can hear how people use Bitcoin, not only to hold it as an investment as we do here in the Western Hemisphere. It's a lifeboat for many people. It's the possibility to send money across borders, of, of, although there are currency controls, as we've done with the donations to the school in Zimbabwe, which can be reopened again, just because we sent Bitcoin over there. And today's guest is one of my biggest inspirations on that journey. It's Andreas M. Antonopoulos. He is not only, I think, one of the best educators worldwide about Bitcoin and open blockchains, he's also the author of Mastering Bitcoin, the Internet of Money series, and now he's writing Mastering the Lightning Network. He's also an excellent keynote speaker and a fascinating guy, and also he's very entertaining. So, Let's hear it from Andreas, but before, a short word from my sponsors. Earlier this year, more than 100 Twitter users got their accounts hacked into to promote the scam to trick people to send them Bitcoin. High-profile accounts like those from Elon Musk, Barack Obama, Jeff Bezos or Gemini were affected. These kinds of attacks are getting more frequent and more severe. That's why I use ExpressVPN to safeguard my personal data online. According to recent reports, hackers can make up to $1,000 from selling someone's personal information, making people like me and you easy, lucrative targets. ExpressVPN is an app that funnels your data through a secure encrypted tunnel so that no matter what device you use, you can have peace of mind every time you use the internet. The app connects with just one click, is lightning fast, and the best part is ExpressVPN works on up to five devices simultaneously, so you and your whole family can stay protected. If a breach can happen to powerful individuals, it can easily happen to you. Protect yourself with ExpressVPN, the VPN rated number one by CNET, Wired and countless others. 
And if you visit expressvpn.com slash Anita right now, you can arm yourself with an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Visit expressvpn.com slash Anita to learn more. To be financially independent, it is important to hold your own keys. Shift Crypto cares about making it easy for you to keep your Bitcoin safe. That's why I like the Bitbox O2. It is Swiss-made and makes it simple to store and use your coins. I especially like that they have a Bitcoin-only edition and I can use the hardware wallet with my phone too. You can get the Bitbox O2 now at anita.link forward slash Bitbox O2 with a 10% discount. Use the code ANITA. anita.link slash Bitbox O2. Local Bitcoins is one of the most trusted and the largest peer-to-peer -peer Bitcoin trading platform in the world. On Local Bitcoins, you can buy and sell your Bitcoins in an easy, fast and secure way, always protected by escrow. Local Bitcoins allows you to trade directly with people like you and you can choose any currency you prefer to complete your trade. Local Bitcoins also offers a web wallet so you can trade and deposit and send out your Bitcoins all in one account. Go to www.localbitcoins.com to buy and sell Bitcoin. Searching for a solid present for your beloved ones? I have a great gift idea. The Card Wallet Christmas Edition brought to you by Coinfinity. The best way to gift your loved ones easy and secure Bitcoin storage. The safest option to store cryptocurrencies is offline and physically. The Card Wallet is enabling exactly that and is a professional cold storage solution. No software updates needed and it leaves no traces on the blockchain, which is good for your privacy. Read more on hohohodl.com. That's hohohodl.com. Hello, Andreas. Thanks for joining my show. It's the fourth time and I'm very happy to have you here again. Hello. It's my pleasure, Anita. I hope you're well. I'm well. I hope you too. It's been a rough year. Yes, huh? thank you. <laughs> it, it has, but I've been incredibly fortunate and I'm in good health. I have a job. I have a house. You know, which is which is a lot better than a lot of other people. So I have nothing mm, to complain mm, about. Yeah, me too. Andreas, we have just recently seen a new all-time high or two or three all-time highs. And it seems that a new hype cycle around Bitcoin is in the making. I'd like to talk mm -hmm. with you about the importance of staying true to the values of Bitcoin and not get sucked into the hurrah, hurrah, the billionaires are here and, and yes. institutions buying into and promoting Bitcoin. And in mm -hmm. the second half of our interview, I would like to hear your outlook for 2021 in terms of the macroeconomic situation and also, of course, in terms of Bitcoin. Now, yeah. now let's start with the basics. One of the reasons why I'm in the space, and I think you too, is what you have called recently the fairness protocol. You, you have mm -hmm. used the story of two your, of your cousins fighting about food as an example. Can mm -hmm. you please elaborate on what this has to do with Bitcoin? 
Yeah. So if you if you think about what we're trying to achieve with the Bitcoin system, in my mind, if if we look at it on a very big scale, what Bitcoin is is a mechanism that allows us to achieve fair results without having someone in charge. That's really all it is. And so the interesting thing is that the ways that we've developed as human beings to achieve fair results have evolved over time. And, you know, in the, in the past, maybe we had a tribal uh, leader or elder who decided, you know, or maybe a king or an aristocrat who listened to the disputes and one peasant would come and say, so-and-so stole my goat. Yes, he did. Cut off his head. And gradually we've evolved into systems that are more transparent, are more effective. But ultimately, the mechanism we still use to achieve fairness is through enforcement of fair outcomes. So we have institutions, we have law enforcement, we have a justice system, all of which attempt to provide fairness. Now, I remember from my childhood, and this is a true story, my two cousins fighting over a plate of uh, fried potatoes, which every day was the exact same scenario. It was like every day as if, as, as if the previous day was repeating. My aunt would make a very big bowl of potatoes, and then my cousins would tear each other apart over who would eat more of them. And, and sorry, what, what did um, you get? <laughs> oh no! I I got to I got to watch all of this. So you know, I usually I'd already had lunch okay. by that point. No, mine was separate. I did not have oh, to okay. fight them, fortunately. Yeah, but it was it was a thing that that happened for quite a while. I think it was my mom who actually proposed the solution because they had tried everything. They had tried just making more potatoes. They had tried having my aunt split them, but then she was accused of being unfair or being favoritist towards one cousin. It was a whole thing. So my mom suggested a, a, a game that she knew from her childhood called You Split, I Choose. And this is where one cousin would split the two portions. And then once there's two portions, the other cousin gets to choose. And very, very quickly, they figured out that if they cheated and made one portion larger, that's the one the other person would choose. So they'd end up with a smaller portion, so they'd lose. There's no way to have a lose-lose situation in this. You either have a win-win, where both parties win, or you have a win-lose, which is the fault of the person who tried to cheat, and they're the one who loses. So this is a self-reinforcing protocol. And basically, this is a classic game theory. Now, in mathematics, we call that game theory. It's, the, it's a mechanism of incentives uh, or disincentives. It's what happens when you have two parties that are competing um, or trying to cooperate that maybe have different interests and are trying to achieve them within a specific context. The interesting thing about systems like this is that you don't need to enforce fairness. All you need to do is keep both people in the game. You need to make sure that they can't break the rules um, of the game, but they can try to cheat. But if they do try to cheat, they lose. So uh, to me, that's what Bitcoin is. It's game theory, but applied to the broader game of security, trust, money. 
And we're seeing this now across other open blockchains being applied to other things with things like decentralized finance, et cetera, et cetera. I call that the fairness protocol just because it's not a very good name for how these things work. The best part of it is that 99% of the time, the participants figure out what the game is and then stop cheating because it's not in their interest. So you use basically market market forces and you use self-interest to achieve fairness and no one has to intervene. No one has to apply the rules. We do this in Bitcoin mining. So Bitcoin miners could include an invalid transaction if they wanted to. But if they do, or if they try to give themselves a bigger reward per block, then their block gets rejected by everyone and they've already spent the electricity, so they lose. So it's not in their interest to do that. It's not in their interest to cheat. It's not in their interest to even attempt to cheat or attack the system. And they figure that out very, very quickly. The same thing applies to the Lightning Network. And I came up with this idea mostly because I wanted to explain some of the more complicated parts of the Lightning Network. And that's what the Fairness Protocol is. Yeah, I think it's a perfect example for everything that Bitcoin handles automatically in these, with these mathematical Mm -hmm. rules. Like you also, this was also a very good talk of you this year, rules without rulers. Yeah. I think these two, these two talks of you are basically the, the foundational explanation of what Bitcoin and open blockchains are. And I guess should be, or, or, I guess, because I can only guess that this was also the intentional idea behind it. It was, but with Rules Without Rulers, I talk more broadly and abstractly. I found from trying to explain it this way, that when I say mathematical rules, most people go, oh, I don't understand <laughs> mathematics. That's it. I can't, I can't do this. Mathematics, complicated. I didn't understand it well at school. And, you know, honestly, I'm not very good at math. That's not the point. The whole point of me explaining it by how you split a bowl of uh, fried potatoes is that everyone can immediately recognize how this game will play. It's still mathematical rules, but it's mathematical rules at the level of a child's game. And at its basic, the most effective fairness protocols are really that simple. Lots of other things may be happening, but if you cheat you end up losing is something that everyone can exactly. understand. Exactly. I mean, if you, as a child, you, you, if you haven't done that as a child, you experience it as a, as a, as a, an adult than as a parent, I guess. So everybody yes. can relate. Yeah. We- Let me ask you, is there a name for the split and choose protocol? Do you have you did you use that in your childhood? Did it have a name? Has anyone done that with birthday cake or chips or something like that in your childhood? I can remember that I did it sometimes with uh, chewing gum, you know, but it was cheating on a higher level because you did it or I did it with my small sister. So she was very much younger and she was very in I could influence her, you know. So I said, okay, I'm I'm tearing the chewing gum apart and we share. And of course, when you tear it apart, you have a bigger part and a smaller part. And I took the bigger part, <laughs> ate, uh, bit in, ate a piece of it and said, now it's half, half. Here you have your half. So yeah, that was cheating, of course. But, but I understand <laughs> the game, you know. 
Yeah. Does it have, it doesn't have a name in German? I don't think so. I'm not sure. Ah, very good. The next one I, wa I was hoping to do is the use of random functions in order to distribute power fairly, which, which is another children's game. It's called Rochambeau or uh, rock, paper, ah, scissors. This Stein, Schere, Stein, uh, I don't know how it's called. So we say Schere, Stein, Brunnen. Yeah. So, and the, yes, the paper, paper yeah, floats on the water yes. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that game is a very simple explanation of how if you have two or more parties, you can select someone to be a leader, to go first, to do something instead of someone else without having any influence over the outcome. And you don't need someone to be in charge to choose. It's a decentralized protocol for achieving a fair choice between random participants. We actually use that in Ethereum 2.0. That's what the beacon chain does. It just does it with hashes and random numbers, but it's basically the same concept. But is it not also an explanation for smart contracts? For some smart contracts, yes, exactly. You have a set of very simple rules. Everybody knows what the rules are. And as long as you synchronize and play the, by the rules, then the outcome is decided fairly. And you can't really cheat in that environment. Yeah, exactly. So now we are having this wonderful fairness protocol, but it seems to also be in danger because I think one of the important parts is the consensus of all participants. Mm -hmm. And you said in another talk that when more and more big institutions and big billionaires come into the space, they could basically influence consensus. Not, Not directly. Okay. I don't think... Yes, and I think that's an important distinction, which is that... And I've actually heard back from, from some people who are like, hang on a second, we're investors in the space. We have no intention of changing the consensus protocol. Of course not. That's not how you start. So this is a classic example of where what happens is a small, what seems like a small sacrifice or a small change in how things are done cascades and turns into uh, a, a forced change of the consensus protocol. Nobody's going to come and say, hey, by the way, we're going to do 24 million Bitcoin. Is that okay? Because everybody's going to go, no, that's not okay. It's 21. Here, here's a book. It's 21. See, no one's going to go and make that change directly. No one's going to go and say, we want to do surveillance on all addresses. No one's going to go and say, you are only going to allow transactions to, to government approved Bitcoin addresses. They're not going to start there. They're going to start several steps before. They're going to start with, well, when you withdraw from an exchange, we want to make sure that you own the wallet you're withdrawing and you're not using the withdrawal function to pay someone. So you need to sign a message with your wallet to prove that you own it. Okay, great. Now we're going to request that exchanges do not allow withdrawals or sending to this list of bad addresses. It starts with a block list, right? These addresses belong to bad people who did bad things. Not, not bad people in government, not bad people who are funding wars, not bad people who make military weapons. No, 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 not those kinds of bad people. No. 
bad people who sold marijuana, bad people who are sex workers, bad people who have political ideas that you don't like. It's very important to understand that that's where it gets applied. And so they're going to say you can't send to these addresses. Well, I mean, that's not a very big thing. So you can send to those addresses, but I didn't want to send to those addresses anyway, right? So then the problem is they put that rule in place. What happens next? What happens next is the bad people start making more addresses and they bypass this rule. They make more and more and more addresses. And then someone comes up and says, listen, we already have this rule in place. You all agreed it was necessary to stop crime. We just need to modify it a tiny bit because it's not working because they're cheating, right? So all we have to do is make it just the other way around. Uh, we just make a list of addresses that are oh, good addresses, and that way they can't keep making new ones. And all you have to do is submit your addresses to the Bundes government <laughs> or whatever, to the Office of Authorized Bitcoin Addresses, together with your driver's ID or your national ID, and it's fine. Then, of course... Miners will start mining transactions to bad addresses, or they maybe will not mine to good addresses. So then they come back and they say, well, we need another small change. It's not a big change. You've already accepted all of these things. This is called the slippery slope argument. We, we just need to make sure that miners do not do this. And if any miners do, we will prosecute them. Okay, so then miners keep doing this. And you try to prosecute them, but maybe you can't find some of them. So then you're like, well, you know, we tried to do it the nice way, but you weren't playing fair. So now we're going to need the miners to license. Um, because if the miners aren't licensed, then anybody can be a miner and then they won't follow the law. And it is the law. So what is your problem? We're just trying to stop bad people from having Bitcoin. And, and gradually now you've turned it into PayPal. <laughs> you, you've centralized. Now, here's the last step. The, the easy one. This is the one you can explain to the billionaire investors so they can understand why they should care about this. And that is, you know, there's all of this Bitcoin that's in bad addresses that are not allowed to be used anymore. So out of the 21 million coins, already 3 million coins are in bad addresses. Really what we should do is take those out of the blockchain. They take up a lot of space, gigabytes, really. We don't need them in there. And then, of course, since they're already there, maybe we should replace them with fresh Bitcoin that we can give to all of you, especially the licensed miners who have been such good partners in our crime enforcement. And, and that's how you end up with 24 million Bitcoin. You just made 3 million of them unnecessary. And then, of course, once you've done that once, then you say, well, you know, we have an economic crisis, a pandemic happened. We really need more Bitcoin to be issued. The point is that you can't have a system that is somewhat consistent with the rules without that gradually getting more and more and more and more and more restrictive. There is no bureaucrat, no regulator who will accept partial control because every time someone bypasses that control, they see that as an attack against their authority and they will want to find a solution to that. And the solution is always more control. But, but what can we do about that? I mean... It's going to happen, I think, because it's the same with the banking regulation. They want to do that with Bitcoin too. And it's, it's yes. starting so, and it's starting with misleading words like self-hosted wallets. 
Yes, exactly. What a wonderful propaganda. So what we need to do is be aware, not only of what is happening, but also where it goes. I think it's a very big, first of all, a lot of people don't think this is a problem. And that's the first step we have to do is explain why this is a problem. And they say, to use the chess example, because the Queen's Gambit is a very popular show right now, right? It's just a pawn. And you just sacrifice that pawn. It's no big deal. So what if you lose one pawn? Well, what if I tell you that if you lose that pawn, you are five moves from checkmate. And there's absolutely nothing you can do to save yourself if you lose that pawn. Well, suddenly that pawn is the entire game. Self-hosted wallet regulations, blacklisting and blocklisting addresses, then whitelisting addresses, then licensing of nodes, then licensing of miners. All of these things follow one from the next. If you sacrifice the first, it starts rolling downhill. And we've already lost a lot, right? You already have to do all of this KYC to sign up to an exchange and then they they send you, you know, they send all of that information to the government, et cetera, et cetera. Once you understand why it's important, then we start resisting. And resisting isn't something that you do by breaking the law. Resisting is something you do by innovating to make the law irrelevant, obsolete, and ridiculous, right? So how do you do that? By implementing consensus changes to the protocol that strengthen privacy faster than they make changes that break privacy. You see, you can't use a blacklist if you can't see what the destination address is. You can't, you can't create whitelists if everything goes through the whitelist, but the whitelists are just ways to send to somewhere else. You use layer two technologies like the Lightning Network. We need to strengthen privacy now and fight mm. back. And uh, do you think that in 2021, I mean, one of the changes that would be good for more privacy is Taproot? Do you think that Yes, that absolutely. W- will this be implemented this year? I think the code will be merged into Bitcoin Core this year, which will be the start of an activation process that can take anywhere from one to three years. It very much depends. I hope we'll do it faster than three mm-hmm. years. But nothing moves too fast in Bitcoin for good reasons. Mm-hmm. Taproot is a very, very important privacy-preserving technology, and it's also a building block that allows us to build other, even more important privacy-preserving technologies. Yes, can you please elaborate uh, on that a little bit? I think it enables uh, page showing and other stuff. Yeah, Taproot is basically a collection of three different technologies merged together. The primary two of the primary are First of all, it's an implementation of Schnorr signatures. So as part of the Taproot package is Schnorr signatures, which are signatures that have some unique properties. One of the unique properties is that you can aggregate them. So, so what that means is, for example, if we have five private keys, five public keys, and five signatures, we can add up all of the signatures and add up all of the public keys so that that looks like a transaction created by the sum of all of the private keys and signed that way. So you can't tell the difference between a transaction that was signed by five people and a transaction that was signed by one. This allows you to then take other protocols that use multi-signature and hide them and make them look like a simple payment. 
So uh, a transaction cashing out from a Lightning channel, for example, looks like a very simple payment from one person to another, and you can't tell the difference. That's critical. So Schnorr signature aggregation, the second big technology is what's called Merkleized abstract syntax trees. But basically, this is what it is. In Bitcoin, we have a scripting language that allows us to tell you why and how something is being spent. So you can say this is being spent because it's protected by a multisig, and here's three signatures which solve this multisig. These scripts can get rather complicated. You can say if one of these keys or two of these keys or this key after three months or that key signs, right? So you have four different conditions. As it is now, you would have to show the whole script and then which part of it you executed. Now, the the beautiful part of this new Taproot development is that you can hide all of that script as a tree that is a Merkle tree with its hash in the script, and then you only show the branch you executed. So you say, well, in here was a thing that said one of these two keys. What else was in there? You don't need to know. It's some other hashes. You never know what it is. So I'll show you only the part that I'm executing. In fact, even better, using Schnorr signatures, I will then take that and make it look like a single signature of a single script, and now you don't know what is happening behind the scenes. So it's a major privacy upgrade. It's a scalability upgrade. It's an efficiency upgrade. Yeah, and it's a script mm-hmm. upgrade. Would you recommend regular people, I say, more more Bitcoin users like me to do coin joins on my coins at the moment? Yes, under some circumstances. I mean, I'd I'd love to see more people using privacy-aware wallets. Probably the two best in Bitcoin are a wallet called Samurai, which is a mobile wallet, and a wallet called Wasabi, which is a desktop wallet. Both of those have a variety of privacy-protecting technologies. They have technologies that allow you to use Tor so that your connection isn't monitored. They have technologies that allow you to take a single transaction and use several addresses in between so that you put some distance between you and the final recipient. They have technologies that allow you to do coin joins where you make a transaction, but you make it with five other people so that your privacy isn't um, violated so that no one can immediately see what you were paying for, what somebody else was paying for, right? Mm-hmm. So these are all great technologies, and the more people using them, the more effective they are. However, today, if you do a coin join, it is very obvious. If you look at a coin join transaction, it's an obvious coin join transaction. And usually you have to have the same amounts being sent to make a good coin join transaction. So you, you, you might say, I'm going to do a 0.01 Bitcoin coin join. And you might do that in order to increase the privacy of your own coins. Everybody has to pay the same amount so that you can't simply say, well, you know, Anita paid 33 coins and Joe paid 27. And then on the other end, here's someone getting paid 33. Here's someone getting paid 27. So that's probably Anita and that's probably Joe. But if it's all 0.1.1.1.1, you don't know who's paying who. Taproot makes that transaction much less obvious that it's a coin join. 
And so then all of the signatures get merged together and you make it appear as one transact, one payment. So you could start using it today. It's certainly going to make your privacy better. It's going to make everybody else's privacy better because the more people doing it, the more privacy everybody has. But we really need to do better than just mm. that. But I think for a start, the, the most easy and most important step is to not reuse Bitcoin addresses. Exactly. And that's a, that's a step everybody can take simply by using a, a BIP39 mnemonic-based hierarchical deterministic wallet, which is a lot of words to say. A wallet where you have the 12 to 24 words that are your seed. And that wallet, you'll notice when you start using it, generates a new address every time you want to make a transaction. And it sends the change to a new address every time, not back to the original address. That makes it a lot harder for someone to track all of your mm. spending. Now let's uh, talk a little bit about the Lightning Network. You're currently writing a book about uh, mastering the Lightning. <coughs> Sorry, mastering the Lightning Network. Do you think? Uh, yes. That, do you? Yeah. But, but I, I want to clarify. I'm writing it with two other people, so we're writing it together. My co-authors are Lalo Stocken, who is the chief technology officer of Lightning Labs one of the key scientists who's doing the implementation of one of the more popular Lightning clients, and Rene Picard, who is a data scientist and teacher who's doing his PhD at the moment and also very, very influential in explaining and advancing the technology. So it's not just me. I wanted yeah, to Yeah, Rene that. is a great explainer also. He's a German speaker and yeah. Yes, he is. He's he's a fantastic explainer. And apart from that, we're still we're writing this book open source on GitHub, and we have dozens and dozens of other people collaborating already who are adding corrections, who are clarifying things, or even writing whole paragraphs. Oh, cool. <laughs> so you are a co coordinator too, not only an author. Yes, in fact, over three books of doing this in this style, the the mastering series, which are open source books, I've gradually moved much more to being the maestro. I wrote about 85-90% of mastering Bitcoin. I wrote about 45% to 50% of mastering Ethereum, like wrote the the text itself. What I did was a lot of editing, polishing, making sure the narrative flows, coordination, managing the community. Mastering Lightning, I'm hoping to write less than 30%. We'll see how that goes and do more of the maestro work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Great. And do you think that in 2021, we will see some kind of mainstream adoption of Lightning, like newbies coming into the space and immediately use Lightning for, I don't know, podcasting 2.0, for instance, paying podcasters like me in the Sphinx chat app with streaming money, a term you coined. I mean, now it's real. Streaming money is here. I find that so fascinating. Have you used uh, Sphinx app? Have you seen this tool? I have. I have not used Sphinx. Is that is that the messaging protocol for chat over yes, Lightning? Yes, exactly. And they now implemented yeah. podcasts into their chat. Let's say it like that. It's called Tribes. And me as a podcaster, I have my podcast tribe in the chat room, basically, and it's connected to my Raspberry Blitz, to my lightning node. 
And as soon as mm -hmm. somebody is listening to my podcast in the chat app, they send automatically to me, to my node. And yeah, fantastic. it's really fantastic. So also I heard that Kraken is going to implement Lightning. Do you think that it's going to be more usable for newbies too? I, I, I think so. I think we are where Bitcoin was towards the end of 2012, 2013. I remember then there was really only one Android wallet. It wasn't very good. 2013 was when hierarchical deterministic wallets were invented and mnemonic phrases and hardware wallets. All of that happened between 2012 and 2014. And that led to a revolution in wallets which made wallets easier to use, more accessible, easier to back up, easier to understand, more private, all of these things. I think we're right there with the Lightning Network. The wallets have gotten much easier. Now, the Lightning Network has been running now effectively for two years. The testnet was running for another year before that, so maybe three. I've been running a node now on the Lightning Network since there were 17 nodes on the network. So one of the very, very early nodes. And, and gradually, the, the, it's getting easier. It was not easy to use. But now you have wallets like Phoenix and Breeze and Strike that actually make it a lot easier to set up a Lightning wallet and to use it. And it feels and looks very much like a Bitcoin wallet. And you don't need to worry about channels and incoming channels and outgoing channels. All of that detail is taken care of you. But it's still non-custodial. You control your funds. So those are great developments. I think we're getting there. Will it happen in 2021? Probably not. I think it's still going to be an esoteric thing. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I paid my first uh, payroll in Lightning just a few months ago. And I did so again recently my, for a second time where I paid uh, a contractor or an employee with a Lightning payment. Just di directly so, from you to the person, not with a tool like, I don't know, BitWage or something, just you to the person. Oh yeah, no, no, absolutely no. Direct. They had a they had a blue wallet or breeze. I think it was a blue wallet. And I have a Lightning node. Well, I have several actually, but I have one that's connected to my shop, so that which is part experiment, part real e-commerce. And so I I use that to send out payments. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And now I've lost the question I wanted to ask you. But anyhow, what's your forecast in general for 2021 for Bitcoin? I mean, okay, don't don't we shouldn't we won't talk about the price. But I guess there is a big new wave coming in of new people who are interested in Bitcoin, and together with the COVID crisis and the new money coming in, like the printer go, brr, what do you think are we going to see this year? Is also a question to you because I know you, you're, you're very educated on that. But I mean, do you think the vaccination really will help us to lead a more normal life next year again? I, I hope so. I, I don't think we're going to see much normalization in the first half of the year, but maybe in the second half of the year, we'll, we'll, you know, from July onwards, maybe we'll start seeing some normalization. 
But again, what is, what is normal? Mm. And do we want normal to be what it was before? Do we want normal to be unemployment, economic uh, inequality, out-of-control corporations, police brutality, government surveillance, geopolitical warfare, currency wars, nationalism? Is that what we want as normal? I'm hoping we don't go back to that normal. I'm hoping, in fact, that some things change and we'll see because I, I honestly think that before it gets better, it's actually going to get worse, especially in the US. I think it's going to get a lot worse over the next four months um, because the real wave of disease hasn't yet peaked and it won't peak until probably March. So that's that's a big problem. I mean, still very bad situation. And then the other thing is that the economy, especially in the US, but I think also in Europe, the real impact, the economic impact, it hasn't been avoided. It's been postponed. It's been pushed back. And it was pushed back effectively by almost a year. But it can't be pushed back any further. And so every time it gets pushed back, the price we pay is bigger and the amount of effect that has on the economy is smaller. And so this is not a sustainable approach. So I I think we have some very, very difficult times ahead of us. I think the currency crisis environment is going to reach levels that have not been seen in 100 years. And, And all of the things that we thought were stable and forever, turns out were not forever and not so stable. Now, that's not good for Bitcoin. It's certainly not good for Bitcoin's price. In the short term, it's actually bad. Right now, if you have an economic recession and a crisis, a lot of people who are even trying to invest in this currency and suddenly find themselves with no disposable income, jobless, etc., well, it doesn't matter. They're not going to be able to do anything. We can't build success in a global currency like Bitcoin based on six billionaires. This is, this is not the plan, as I keep telling people. And if, is that, if that is the plan, then enjoy it. I'm going to find something else to do because that doesn't interest me. You know, so it, it, we, we really need to, to anticipate the fact that in the short term, things will get a lot more difficult. And crisis is not the way that we achieve success in Bitcoin. I think a lot of people in our industry tend to be optimistic about disaster, which which I think is incredibly cynical and also doesn't recognize the human impact these disasters are having. So honestly, I, I would rather like to see the euro and the dollar not being destabilized. And I'd like to see the US and European economy stabilizing a bit so that people can actually have more opportunity in their lives, even if that means not as much opportunity for Bitcoin. But unfortunately, I don't think that's going to happen. You know, I think, again, I think things are going to get more difficult before they get better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, hard to stay optimistic at the moment, actually. And I, I, yeah, yeah. I also read that a lot of people are now in therapy because of depression, and I mean mental depression. And uh, yeah, I think we just have to live through this and do the best, right? Do the best what we can. 
Okay, so do you have anything that you can tell us on a more optimistic optimistic side? What are you excited? Yeah, I, well, I think it's important whenever I find that current politics, the world at large, all of these crises and problems, etc., are happening. I find that the best way to respond to that is is to think on a much smaller basis and say, what can I do to take care of myself today? You know, can I protect my mental health? I'm a big believer in therapy, but also, you know, dancing to silly music in the kitchen, whatever works, right? Taking care of loved ones. And then if you want to look more at our work side of things, If you see too much drama happening around the price, switch your focus. It always works for me. I do it all the time. Go back uh, into the technology. Focus on education. There's billionaires on Twitter and on TV going blah, 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 blah. Turn them off. Open a book. Learn something. Learn something new. Study something you didn't do before. Take a project that you never thought you could complete. And try it. Now, let me, let me ask you, before you set up your Raspi Blitz, had you ever done a Raspberry Pi-based Linux Never, system? Never, ever. Of course not. And I mean, yeah, I, I, to, to be honest, I organized help, of course, yeah? Because I have, have yes, friends. Yes, but how much yeah, fun, it's great. right? I mean, I never thought that I can do it. And now I'm, I'm a little bit uh, scared because I have to change the SSD because it's too small now. And I have to do uh-huh. an upgrade to be able to set it up for this uh, Sphinx chat. And yeah. you know what? In a few days at the Chaos Communication Congress, there's a, it's, it's an online event this year, of course. I'm mm-hmm. going to present how my experiences are with my Raspberry Blitz and the Sphinx node and podcasting 2.0. And I actually never thought that I'm going to do something like that, but it's great. Yeah. And. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I, I, I grew a lot with Bitcoin, with all what I learned and I'm learning every, every day. Right. It's new. And it's exactly, it's, yes. it's, it's exactly, it's exactly how you say it. As soon as I'm on Twitter or on YouTube and everybody's talking about, wow, price and the crisis is good for Bitcoin because people want to buy Bitcoin. Yeah, of course you're, you're right. They don't have money. So how should they buy it? And, I, I'm, I'm, yeah. yeah. Also, like you said, I think it's better to earn it, and that's something I started mm-hmm. now. Also, <clears throat> I have two video editors and uh, somebody from South Africa, from Nigeria, and one woman in the US, and they work for me as freelancers. And I and I offered them to pay them in in Bitcoin or to tip them at least in Bitcoin. And the one said, no, she doesn't want to. But the one in Nigeria was like, yeah, of course. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It goes a long way and it can change people's lives. And it's, it's been something that, you know, for those of us who are fortunate to have been involved in this space a bit longer, we maybe have a little stash of Bitcoin that we can use to help others, to hire others, to pay others so that we can build more education. But what we really have is a whole mountain of knowledge that we can share with others. And so here's the, here's the bottom line. The value of your knowledge is going to the moon. <laughs> I can predict that confidently, no matter what happens to Bitcoin. 
And it's uh, also... We can enrich our lives intellectually. We can re- enrich our lives socially by meeting people and helping them. We can enrich our lives in an education. That's absolutely true. And it's also something that everybody can do. It has no barriers for to entry. And that's the great thing about Bitcoin because everything is open source. There's so much free education out there. Also, your online courses. I think you now have a free online course, an online workshop, you say. Yes. <clears throat> yes, there's well, actually a, a couple. Yes, and we're building more. And yeah, there's there's all new ways to to share and collaborate and and learn, and it, it doesn't it doesn't matter where you are, where you come from. You know, I have I have students who who join on a very very low bandwidth uh, connection from Android seven phone from Lagos, Nigeria, from Botswana, from you know, a ton of different from India, from Pakistan, from Bangladesh, who join and take these online courses. And, you know, maybe maybe they're going to find a job because of this, or at least learn learn something. And maybe that job is going to allow them to earn some Bitcoin in the future. And with that, they're going to buy a slightly better Android <laughs> phone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's a, it's a building process. Yeah, so, yeah, it's great to be in this space. Thank you, Andreas. This was the last interview of 2020. And oh, tomorrow, I mean, it, the release is on the 31st. It's going to be a new year. I wish you all the best for this new year. And uh, thank, thank you, you so for much. all the educational work you do. And please uh, let our listeners know where they can find you. So my my username, A. Antonop, which you might be able to see on your screen, A-A-N-T-O-N-O-P. You can find me as A. Antonop on Twitter. Uh, my YouTube channel, A. Antonop, and my website, Antonop.com, where I have free education. You can find all of that online. Easily. Great. I will put that in the show notes that everybody can find at anita.link forward slash 92. Thank you very much, Andreas, and bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, Anita. Thanks so much for joining today to learn more about Bitcoin. You can find the show notes for this conversation on anita.link slash show. If you want to get the best stories in Bitcoin from my point of view automatically in your mailbox, go to anita.link slash weekly and subscribe to my newsletter. If you have a question or want to send some feedback, drop me a mail at hello at anitaposch.com. See you next week when it's time for my show. Thanks for listening. Music, start with yes, delicate beats. Content, idea and production, yours truly, Anita Posch.